0: have a copy of God's word. I invite you to open it and turn once more to the epistle of 1 John. As I said earlier, we'll be looking at 1 John chapter 2 verses 18 through 27. This is a bit larger of a chunk than we have gone through together previously in our study through the book of 1 John. But it, uh, though it's large, it, it is very cohesive, and it's good for us to look at it all together to see what, what John is doing here uh, in this passage about the, a warning concerning Antichrist and, and a call for the Christian to uh, abide in the truth, to continue in the truth which they have heard. So normally I read before the text for a bit of context, given the length of our text, I'll only read our text this evening. So we'll begin in verse 18 of 1 John chapter 2. This is the word of the Lord. Give heed to it. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One and you have all knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. Father, we thank you for the word which you have given to us. We ask now that as we come to it to learn, you would reveal to us what you would have us to know, that you would equip us for every good work as you have promised to do through your word, and that you would uh, help us to be fully prepared to continue in the truth and not be deceived by those who come against your church. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. There's a fairly important question, especially in the church, that I'm sure many of you have heard before. I wonder when the last time you gave it much thought was. This question is, who is Jesus? This is a pretty basic question for us, isn't it? And when I just asked that, you might have already begun to formulate some answers in your mind. Maybe you came up with a theological answer. You said, oh, Jesus is the incarnate second person of the Trinity. Some of you may have said, Jesus is my Savior. Maybe you had some other answer in your mind. This is a very important question. In fact, it's it's a question that the Lord Jesus himself asked back in Matthew chapter 16. Remember that he asked his disciples there, who do men say that I am? Who do they say that the Son of Man is? And the disciples answered him, well, some people think that you're Elijah, which is quite a compliment. Elijah was a great prophet. Some people think that you're John the Baptist. Some people think you're Jeremiah or maybe some other of the prophets. They all recognize Jesus' great teaching, his authority jesus said well who do you say that i am i'm sure you remember peter's response you are the christ the son of god this is an important question for us and peter's answer is a very important answer it was because of this answer that christ responded yes very well done peter you said truly. It's because of this that Christ said that he would build his church upon the rock of of Peter's confession, that Jesus is the Christ, Son of the living God. Why is that important for our text this evening? This evening, John takes us through this warning and call for us because there were many people in the church who were denying that Jesus is the Christ. Remember way back when we started First John, I spoke of the Gnostic heresy. These people said that the way of salvation is not through the Lord Jesus. The way of salvation is through special knowledge that you might receive. And they said, well, there's no way that Jesus was actually a God and man. No, he only appeared to be a man. And because of this, they also said, according to John in our text this evening, that Jesus is not the Christ of God. This is a very important thing which they denied because this is the foundation of our faith. This this evening, John, in this somewhat large chunk of text, wants to show us that there is a contrast between two different people in and around the church, distinguished by two different confessions And then he uses that to call you, dear Christian, to continue in the truth which you have heard and which you have believed. Two groups distinguished by two confessions and a call to continue in truth. Those are the three headings that we will use to look at this text, the contrast beginning between these two groups. In verses 18 through 20, we'll look at these two groups' confessions, the confessions of faith, in verses 21 through 23, and then in 24 through 27, we see John's call for Christians to abide in the truth of God's Word, the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Since uh, this is such a large text of Scripture, we'll Kind of overviewing these things a little bit more, not diving so much into the weeds, but there are a few things in each of these categories which uh, we really must focus on because they're very important. So let's begin then by looking at verses 18 through 20, where we see that there is a contrast between two groups of people uh, who have are either part of a church or have been part of the church. uh, Namely. Enemies of Christ and friends of Christ. Two different groups of people. Look at verses 18 through 20 with me. John writes there, Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. John begins here by showing to us uh, this group of people called Antichrists. Before he says that, he says, Children, it is the last hour. Now, when we think of the last hour, and we think of the word Antichrist, or the person Antichrist, uh, many people in evangelicalism are immediately drawn to the sensational. They think last hour, well, this, this must be very eschatological. This must be referring to the end days. Well, yes, in part. What John means when he says last hour here is really the same thing that the Lord Jesus Christ means when he speaks of the last days or when any of the other apostolic authors speak of the last days it doesn't refer to uh, the very end of the age when Christ comes back or right before Christ's back, but in fact speaks of the entirety of the period of time in between the Lord Jesus' first and second coming. That is what John means here by the last hour. He is not speaking of a particular hour. It comes at the very end of the age. If, if he had been, then when he said this is the last hour, uh, that hour probably would have expired before his letter ever arrived to its recipients. But no, what he means here when he says last hour is, is the last period of time, the, the final period where Christ has established his church, and it's growing, and it's growing. And alongside it is growing something else. That's how John continues. He says, As you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. The word uh, Antichrist just quite literally means against or in place of Christ. These are people who oppose the person, the work, uh, the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. John says that that many of them have come. There's an antichrist coming, but many antichrists have already come. There have already been many false teachers, John says it, that have risen in the church. And the very existence of these false teachers are indicative of the fact that we are in this period of time between Christ's first and second coming, the last hour. That's how John concludes this verse. He says, therefore we know that it is the last hour. That is, these antichrists, these false teachers, are the evidence that we are still in between this period of Christ's first and second coming. And he tells them this because it seems that there was a little bit of, of shock in the church. All of a sudden, these false teachers had had arisen and they'd begun spreading their uh, heresy, their doctrine. And this was a little upsetting to Christians, and for good reason. It should be upsetting to us when uh, people whom we know or trust, when ministers or, or elders or Sunday school teachers get up in front of the church and all of a sudden say something that is blatantly against the Bible. That should shock us. But it also shouldn't. It should shock us because of its wrongness. But we do need to realize that even as Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come, there, there are always Antichrists throughout the history of the church and in the church. The Lord Jesus spoke of this as well. He said in Matthew 24 that there would be people who would come saying that they were the Christ and there would be false teachers that would arise. Peter speaks of the same thing in 2 Peter 2. He said that uh, even as there were false teachers among the people, so now there are false teachers and there will be false teachers among you as well. The sheer fact is that false teachers arise even in the church, especially in the church. This is because... The wheat and the tares have not yet been separated. You remember Christ's parable in Matthew 13. That seed was sown by the landowner and then his enemy came in the night and and threw seed down. And these weeds, the tares, grew up alongside of the wheat. The workers of the owner of the field said, well, should we pull them all up? And the owner said, no. No leave them, and at harvest time we'll separate them all out. It's a picture of the church. It's a picture of the church. In the visible church of God, both believers and unbelievers oftentimes grow up. And you can't tell the difference many times. An unbeliever will live an upright life, good life, for all all outward appearances, they seem that they are one of God's people. But inwardly, they they have never looked to Christ in faith. They've never trusted in him. They are against him as antichrists. Sometimes, these people leave the church. That's another thing that John says about the antichrists is their schismatics. They leave the church oft times violently, and this is actually as shocking as it might be to us sometimes when we see a person who seemed to be uh, a great paragon of, of the faith. It can be shocking to us when they all of a sudden desert the faith, but really this is for the purity of the church. John writes that they went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. So, these are people who, though they seem for a time to be trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, though they seem to be living lives of holiness unto God, yet, finally, they abandon God's people. They abandon the church, either in false doctrines, uh, twistings of Christianity, or just through sheer atheism and unbelief. They desert the church because they were never really part of the church, and they do not care for the church, the bride of Christ. Well, this is the first group of people, but then look at verse 20. John kind of shifts here by addressing those who are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ when he writes, But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. He says, There are antichrists who have risen up in the church, but... But you, dear Christian, who are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, who have placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have been anointed. Children, you remember in the Old Testament, there were many different kinds of anointings. Kings were anointed when oil was poured on their head, prophets were anointed, priests were anointed. The Lord Jesus Christ was anointed. When at his baptism, the Spirit descended upon him like a dove. Here John says to those trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ that they have been anointed. And they have all knowledge. There's an interesting play on words here with anointed. Because anointed in in Greek is the same word for Christ. Christ means anointed. Christ's people are anointed. Because the Lord Jesus Christ who has the Holy Spirit without measure, gives the Spirit to his people without measure. That's what John means here. You've been anointed by the Holy Spirit. You have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. You have all knowledge because the Spirit is the one who leads us into all truth. As Christ promised in John 16. When we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ... One of the great blessings which we receive is the Spirit, the seal of our inheritance. And the Spirit is the one who illumines our minds when we read the Scripture so that we can understand what it says. He's the one who directs our attention back to Christ over and over and over again. And he teaches us. This this fact that we have the Spirit should give us strength and, and endurance. It should encourage us to both resist false teachings which come in the church, and they come against us, and it should also encourage us to, to go out and seek to restore even those who have left the church through false teaching. That's the contrast between these two groups, a group which hates Christ and his church, and a group which loves the Lord Jesus Christ and has been given the gift of the Holy Spirit, and by that walks in the truth. Let's well, A contrast between the two groups. But these two groups are further delineated by their confessions. Their confessions of faith in verses 21 through 23. John writes there, I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. So we see here this further delineation between those who deny that Jesus is the Christ and those who affirm that Jesus is the Christ. The antichrists say that Jesus is not Christ. Uh, They're lying, John says here is a liar, but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Why are they liars? Because these are those who were in the church, who came into the church and claimed to be part of the church at first, but then denied the very central truth of the gospel, that the Lord Jesus Christ is the anointed of God who came to save his people from their sins. They said, well, we don't believe Jesus is Christ. But we do believe that we have God as our Father. This makes about as much sense as an accountant saying, I don't believe in math, but I do believe I can do your taxes. I don't think you would trust that accountant, would you? They're liars, they're denying the fundamentals, they have no part. In the body and the life of the church, they do not have God as their father and that 's what John says, continuing they because they deny Christ they 're denying the father also verse twenty two who was the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son, though they claim that their knowledge leads to Uh, God leads to the Father. In reality, uh, their esoteric knowledge, their gnosis, leads only down the path of destruction. There are many people in our day who will try to claim that all roads lead to God. All religions meet at God this is not the case. It is only to Christ that we may come to the Father. The Lord Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by him. And these antichrists denied that. They said, make your own way to God because you can't make it to God through Christ was false teaching, it was terrible and made shipwreck of the faith of some people. <clears throat> but John also, very briefly, in this section, and then more fully in what follows, speaks of the confession of the believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse twenty-three he says, No one who denies the Son has the Father Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. The Antichrist did not confess that Jesus is the Christ, but those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ make that same proclamation that Peter made He is the Christ, the Son of God. He is the only Savior for men. He is my Savior. And those who make this confession, those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, those who look to him alone for salvation, have the Father also. Because we can only come to the Father through the Son by the Holy Spirit. And when we do come to the Father through the Son by the Holy Spirit, we are one of God's children. And he welcomes us. He puts the robe upon us and the ring upon our finger. He says, welcome home. Those who confess Christ as Savior have God as their father because the Lord has redeemed them from their sin and and given to them Christ's righteousness and brought them into his family. Those who truly confess Christ's that is. And that's what leads John then to this final section where he calls Christians to continue in the truth which they had learned. The gospel that is. In verses 24 through 27 we read, Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. We see here a lot of language of abiding. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If it abides in you, you will abide in him the Son, and in the Father. We've spoken of of abiding many times. John loves to use this word. He loves to remind us that we need to uh, abide in Christ. We need to uh, abide in the light. Living there, dwelling there, that's where we should have our uh, sense of, of being and belonging. It's where our focus should be. Upon Christ. Well, He says here that what we heard from the beginning ought to abide in us. That is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the beginning of your Christian faith. What was it that you heard, which all of a sudden changed your life? You heard externally, either through reading the scripture and you heard it in your mind, I suppose, or through hearing a preacher preach the gospel or or hearing an evangelist give a gospel presentation. You heard the glorious truth. That the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, took on human flesh and lived perfectly on your behalf and died on the cross for your sins, making peace with God for you. He didn't just die, but he was buried and three days later rose from the dead for your justification. And it's the promise that you too would be raised from the dead someday. You heard that. At some point in your life. Maybe a little more fully, maybe a little less fully. But you heard something along those lines. You heard the gospel. And as you heard that, the Spirit worked in your heart. He worked faith in you. He moved in your heart and your mind so you understood it and you believed it. And all of a sudden you realized, this Jesus is my Savior. John says, let that abide in you. Remember that message which you heard. Remember the truth of the gospel. Reflect upon that. Think about that. See, though we we learn more of God, though we learn more of Christ, though we grow in our knowledge, we never move past that glorious fact that the Lord Jesus Christ died to save sinners. It's the central feature. John says, let it live in you. And if you're remembering that, if you're thinking about that, that's, that's an evidence of your regeneration. You're, you're constantly remembering Christ, stirring you up to his praise. If you're doing that, then you too will abide in the Son and the Father. That is what will direct your gaze back to Christ, back to praising the Father. When you sin, when you have a bad day, when something happens and all of a sudden you turn inward and you start thinking, well, why am I the way that I am? Everything is all wrong. Poor pitiful me. Remember the gospel. Look back to Christ. Turn back to him. Run back to him. Abide in him. Live with him. Through that, you abide in the Father and in the Son. And through that, you are reminded of the promise that he makes eternal life. Christ, who is eternal life, as John previously mentioned in the first chapter. But also living eternally with Christ beginning now and continuing to eternity future, dwelling, abiding with Christ eternally. That's the first call is to abide, to let the gospel abide. Uh, the second call is to continue in the truth. Verses 26 through 27, he, John writes that he writes these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. John reminds us here, these false teachers, that they are deceivers, that they try to twist the truth. They take the scriptures, and they try to shuffle it around a little bit and say well see this is this is what God really wants you to know you can decode things from this let's use every sixth word and we can find a secret message or something but John reminds us that we have the Holy Spirit the Spirit which teaches us he reminds us that because of this, we should be like the Bereans and search the scriptures. We should study God's word so that we know it in and out. So that when people come to us and, and say things like, well, there's, there's many roads to God. We're reminded of scriptures that tell us that's just not the case that the only way to the Father is through Christ. We have the Spirit. He has taught us of Christ in our effectual calling, directing our attention to Christ. And it is through the Spirit that we are sealed and we persevere in the truth which God has revealed in us. As his anointing, the Spirit teaches us and is true and is no lie. Just as it has taught us, abide in Christ. The Spirit constantly points the believer back to Christ. Back to Christ. Back to Christ. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Remember your Savior. He is who you must trust and look to. He is the anointed of God, the Christ. He's come to save his people From their sin. What do we do with this? What is John's desire for Christians by teaching them of these things? Well, first and foremost, there is this call abide in the truth. Remind yourself of the gospel daily. When your faith is weak, remind yourself of the Lord Jesus Christ. And his work on your behalf. When you feel your faith is strong, remind yourself of the Lord Jesus Christ and His work on your behalf. I would encourage you to ask yourself a question that we started off with: who do you say that Jesus is? Do you look to the Lord Jesus Christ? As the only Savior. As your Savior. Have you come to the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ? Or do you only give intellectual assent to the fact that Jesus is the Christ? Do you say, well, yes, the man Jesus seemed to fulfill all these Old Testament prophecies, that's pretty amazing, but I don't really know if he's my Savior. If that's the case, then I encourage you to cry out to the Lord. Cry out to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, ask him to reveal to you by his, his Holy Spirit your great need for him and that there is salvation in him. And there's a very amazing fact. As much as Christians love to see sinners get saved, the Lord Jesus Christ loves to save them even more. And if you cry out to him, if you ask him to save you, if you place all of your trust in him, hoping only in him as the Christ of God, your savior, he is mighty to save Another question we ought to be asking ourselves is, are we abiding in the truth of the gospel? Do you remind yourself of the gospel daily, or or have you forgotten that? Maybe you haven't forgotten the gospel per se, but it's been a long time since you've thought of the fact that Christ died on the cross for your sins. Remind yourself of that. Use that uh, daily remembrance to encourage you to repent of your sins. And use that to reorient your gaze to Christ. So that you might continue to follow after him day by day. These are all good questions. But maybe a little more um, practically speaking. Some, some other good day-to-day practices which might flow from this text. We should prepare ourselves in good doctrine so that we recognize false doctrine when it, when it comes up and so we can abide in the truth and so we can help others to do the same. We should be studying the scriptures daily so that we are equipped, that we know what it says, and we can stand against it, memorize the scripture, learn the, the shorter catechism, great little summaries of biblical doctrine. So that you can say, oh, I remember a small answer to this. That, that helps. Read good books. And parents, I, I want to encourage you especially to work on things like this with your children. Prepare them. Train them up in uh, their knowledge of the scriptures and of good doctrine so that they are also able to stand against false teaching, so that they they can recognize it, so they won't be led astray by it, even for a small period of time. Teach your children well. Raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. and Glorify God by doing that. We've seen here in this text John's contrast between uh, enemies of Christ and followers of Christ and how these two groups have two different confessions. One who denies the saviorship of Jesus. One who confesses it and trusts in him. We've seen his call for Christians to remember the gospel, abide in the gospel, and abide in the Father and the Son. John has done this so that the people of God uh, will be protected as though they were uh, in a castle or fortress. He's done this to prepare them for the inevitability of encountering false teaching. He's done them to remind them, done this to remind them of their Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom they trust and whom, I pray, you trust, whom we all ought to look to as our only hope in life, and in death. Let us do so as we are able. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for this passage from your word. We thank you for the warning, for the reminder that there are many false teachers who come up against your church. We thank you for giving us your word so that we might be more adequately prepared for this. And we thank you most of all that you have opened our hearts and minds to this great truth that the Lord Jesus Christ is the savior of sinners, that he did die on the cross to bear all of uh, the wrath of God that was due to uh, his people. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for bearing the wrath so that we might be saved. We thank you, Father, for clothing us in the righteousness of Christ, for imputing that to us so that before you, we are as blameless as your Son. Help us to walk after him, following after him, obeying him, abiding in him to your glory and honor. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Let's take a few moments now to meditate on this text.